0: Welcome to episode 177 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston.
1: Hey, welcome back to another episode. I have been very heavily in the Halloween fall season with all of my students, so I wanted to share some resources with that. Um, One that I've been really liking is just kind of finding like pictures that have a lot going on in them that we can have a a lot of things that we talk about um, and doing some fall scenes. So there's one that I really liked that has WH questions that go with it. That is from, I think it's Laura. Or just Kay Ratliff is what I looked for on Teachers Pay Teachers, and she has ones for different seasons. Um, but they come in a pack, and it will have like a fall pack, and it will have not just Halloween, but things like, you know, Apple Orchard and a Fall Festival and Veterans Day. And just has a lot of uh, cute illustrations and lots of things going on. So, like, for one of my sets of kids, they were working on multisyllabic words, and I just had them play um, I Spy with the pictures and give different clues to each other and name different things in there. And then there's another set that's, um that one's a, like, PDF, but there's another set I like on Boom Cards that um, is... Uh, has some picture scenes and it's by uh, speech language and literacy I think is the name of the group and um, so they have some photo scenes and then it has sentence strips at the bottom for kids to create sentences with it has some parts that you can move around like a um, little animation of a dog and a spider so that works really well that sometimes I'll move those around and say what's on the pumpkin and things like that so just those kind of just like broad picture scenes that are really flexible for whatever your students are working on have worked really well
0: Uh, I love the I spy stuff Um, I have several books some of my older kids I'll describe something and they have to find it and Mm -hmm. all that stuff and it's great for language great for for expressive language especially in auditory memory and stuff i'm working yeah. on yeah so it's it's really wonderful yeah great ideas great stuff yeah. um we have someone i think everyone's gonna love today on the podcast uh yeah. lauren hastings lauren is doing some great work uh in telepractice of course She's a speech-language pathologist, but she's doing telepractice, and she's doing some other things, too, in terms of coaching as well as working with uh, and being a resource for students who are in grad programs and helping them uh, be successful in their studies. So we have Lauren to come on, so I think you'll, you'll enjoy hearing her.
1: This episode is brought to you by Thera Platform. If you're a therapist in private practice looking to spend more time with clients and less time on admin tasks, it may be time to consider automation software. Thera Platform is an all-in-one EHR, practice management, and teletherapy software built specifically for therapists, and it's designed to automate day-to-day tasks. Thera Platform offers a free 30 day trial with no credit card required. Visit theraplatform.com today.
0: Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Can you share more about your background and how you became a speech language pathologist?
2: Sure. Um, My name is Lauren Hastings. I have been a speech language pathologist since 2010. Um, I went to a college fair. So I'm one of those randoms that knew since mm-hmm. my senior year in high school that I wanted to be a speech language pathologist, went to a college fair and you know how they do uh, mm-hmm. when you don't know what you want to major in. They're like, Oh, what do you like to do? And at that time I was teaching myself sign language and at school and at church, I would sign to music. And so um, I wanted to be, I thought about being a sign language interpreter, Mm-hmm. But um, coming from a single parent home, I felt like um, I wouldn't make enough because I saw my mom struggle and I just wanted to make sure I picked a career where I wouldn't struggle. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I went to a college fair and went up to actually Loma Linda University in California. And wow. they told me uh, about speech pathology. The lady gave me the little pamphlet, went home read about it and I was like this is what I'm gonna do (laughs) um now I kind of questioned myself my junior senior year in college Mm -hmm. like is this what I want to do um because learning all the nine areas at one time Mm -hmm. as an undergrad student can be a little overwhelming and the, the undergrad program I went to um our degree was in speech and audiology. So I had to mm-hmm. practicum in speech and a practicum in audiology. And my audiology teacher was like, I know all of y'all or majority of y'all <laughs> are gonna be speech pathologists, but you're gonna learn this audiology stuff. So um, but it was it was cool and I, I kept with it. And I think um because I just have a natural um, I guess character trait of helping people mm-hmm. I, it just it just worked out for me it was just the perfect blend of my natural talents into uh this profession
0: and do they have a masters program there Is-
2: they didn't i ended up going to um tennessee state for my masters so i did my mm-hmm. undergrad at andrews university in michigan now they have a masters program and then um i transitioned to tennessee because coming from atlanta Michigan mm-hmm. was cold and, and <laughs> <child>. <laughs> I was telling people you know going from people speaking to you and just having that southern hospitality to walking across mm-hmm. campus and maybe one person will even look at me let alone say hello That was a little different <laughs> mm-hmm. oh Um, For graduate school, I'm like, no, I want to be back down south. So um, I ended up at Tennessee State uh, to get my master's and stayed in Nashville for a little bit and then Mm -hmm. went home uh, to Atlanta. That's where I started uh, my private practice. And then now I'm in Birmingham because I am a Ph.D. student at the University of Alabama, Birmingham. Um, I'll give you the short version, getting my Ph.D. in education. (laughs)
0: <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: So, were you at uh, Tennessee State with uh, Tina Smith?
2: I was. I was. Love her. Love she.
0: Her. She was. She came from South Carolina State and then mm-hmm. joined uh, University of South Carolina uh, on faculty while I was there. And when I was finishing up my doctoral work there, she was there. So I, I know Tina really well. She's a very sweet yeah. person. Loved her. Then yeah. she, she and her husband moved to Nashville from there. So yeah, yeah. Um,
2: I I knew she was a nerd <laughs> when <laughs> I walked in her office, and her screensaver was the nervous system. She really loves <laughs> anatomy. Mm-hmm. and I at first I'm like, maybe it'll change to like a picture of her husband, her sons, <laughs> her parents. No, nah.
0: no. It's, it's
2: all neuro stuff so i was like okay you really really <laughs> love um neuroanatomy but she was a phenomenal teacher
0: yeah she's so great. great and she's expert. still still there still here i was yeah I talked to her not is. too long ago
2: yeah so yeah that was a great experience
0: so good for her and mm-hmm. you're now a doctoral student that's great that's wonderful we need more doctoral students we need more doc need more SLPs who get their doctors. I'm trying to yeah.
2: Say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I decided not to get it in speech because I already have two degrees in speech sure. and I wanted, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I mean, no, no judgment to anybody
1: who decides no. to get
2: all three in speech, but um, given my experience in the school system and in private practice, I feel like there's so much work to still be done in these other spaces and places that still don't know what the world we do, and always are still leaving us out of conversations, assessments. Right. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And so, well, I'll tell you the long name of my degree. So it's educational studies in diverse populations with a concentration Mm -hmm. in health disparities. And so Mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot about healthy people, 2030 and Mm -hmm. social determinants of health. And so my end goal is to become an educational consultant because mm-hmm. I feel like, and Kim, I know you, because you're in private practice as well. I feel like in clinic and private practice, we
1: look at the whole client, but yeah. it's like mm-hmm. in the school system, we don't. And, yeah. and, mm-hmm. and, and we're like, limited. Um, they put us these limits on us of, well, you can't do that. Or this person yeah, you does can't that. Say that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or even working on things like executive functioning, I'm like, well, that's not really in my scope when I'm in the schools. But outside of the schools, there's lots of speech language pathologists that are doing great work in executive Mm -hmm. functioning. And, yeah, we get put in those little pigeonholes. Yeah, but when
2: you're – I'll tell you an instance right now. I just had an IEP meeting on a kid um, whose dad died when he was three. His mom is on drugs. um, And – he lives with his grandparents and they qualified him as having a learned disability. And when I looked at his scores, I'm like, was it a really learned disability?
0: Mm-hmm. Or was
2: he just like adjusting because the only low score was math?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so now he's in middle school and um, grandmother was telling us that he, at the age of seven, Told his grandmother, I don't want to see my mom because every time she came around, she was high. And so now he has a good relationship. But now I feel like. We have and I say we because we were part of the system, Mm -hmm. we have made him into a lazy student because Mm -hmm. now his motivation is gone. And I'm realizing this generation of kids, they have obviously TVs and video and gaming in their room. And so his mm-hmm. grandparents are older. So when they're asleep, he's staying up late playing up video games, yeah. but we sit down and we do work with him. He's able to do it. And so, yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, we get you out before you hit high school, because then, you know, you yeah. really, you're going to just feel like you are always going to have this safety blanket and you're not. And I'm just, One of those people on the team. My school has gotten used to me, but I'm always talking about after high school. Mm -hmm. Like you want to keep them in small group. You want to keep them with all these accommodations. But colleges are becoming more adaptable to diagnoses Mm -hmm. and accommodations. But is nothing compared to what they're getting. Yeah. Elementary, middle school, high school. Yeah. Very true. And so. I force my kids to come to their IEP meetings. Sometimes I, I bribe them because, <laughs> um, if they never come right How how are they going to function after school? And so I'm right. always looking holistically, but like you said, Kim, our coworkers are not, they're just thinking of the right now. Oh, they're doing so well. Let's just keep them where they are. Okay. Yeah. Are you thinking about like 10 years from now?
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Um, What are they going to be like? So um, I just want to kind of package up everything I'm learning and go to school districts, go to early intervention organizations and say, hey, we really need to hone in on this social determinants of health and like really find out um, like these intricacies. Like, do you have support? How's your job security? You know, Mm -hmm. because that is why their um involvement is limited and that's what my dissertation is going to be about just parental involvement mm-hmm. and um excuse me in social determinants of health like are the barriers that's preventing you from being heavily involved kind of fall in that social determinants of health part, because you might have people who are focused on keeping their job or focus mm-hmm. on making sure their food on the table, right? right. So coming to some meeting where you're just going to talk bad about their kid the whole time, <laughs> why would they put them put themselves under that, right? And so right. Just, just wanting to talk to stakeholders and let them know like, hey, this is what's happening. These are their thoughts. How can we Change this. How can we, as we say, meet them where they are, right, yep. um, and bridge that gap? So that's that's what I want to do with it. Then maybe do a little teaching on the side,
0: <laughs> like at a university. Like,
2: yeah, yeah, Northeast Ohio. <laughs> 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 I'll be
0: open. Who, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So, who knows, who knows? I've always, you know. It, it's and it has always strike uh, struck me um mm-hmm. that um we look at the children we're working with, and we look at the ones that have true deficits mm-hmm. versus the deficits that we've created
2: mm-hmm. that's it,
0: and so we got to do more as a society to not create the deficits or create the right. the challenges which have a tremendous impact that is lifelong on some of these kids. Um, And, and believe me, I'm all for people who can pull themselves up by the bootstraps and, you know, go through adversity and be successful. Right. But that doesn't mean that everyone can do that. Not everyone is going to be able to have that, that way out or that way up. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, we have to make it a a more of a level playing field for everybody.
2: Right. Right. And that's why when I learned about social determinants of health, I mean, you hit the nail on the head with that. Um, Yes. Some people can pull themselves up, but one of the pillars is uh, social and community uh, uh, support. Mm -hmm. If you're a single parent, you got a kid on the spectrum, or you got a kid with a learning disability. Do you have family support? Do you have mm-hmm. community support? Because the people that pull themselves up by their bootstrap, me being one of them, I am where I am today because of my village, personally, professionally, spiritually, all of that. True. Um, so yeah, uh, I have I had to learn even in my terminology, because I'll say, well, you know, I was raised by a single parent my mother passed when i was 17 but my aunts were there mm-hmm. not everybody has that right, right. um huh. so to to your point <laughs> i had we had that community but not everybody mm-hmm. has a community. not everybody has healthcare access and so we as a school district early intervention program organizations we gotta make sure we are addressing these. I, I tell people all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Now that I've learned about social determinants of health, I'm like, oh yeah, but I gotta, I gotta start talking to some people because how are we telling? And Kim will probably laugh even more when I say this. How can we tell parents? Oh, just read to them. Oh, your your child is mm-hmm. showing signs of ADHD. Go take them to a playground. Right. What if they don't right. have that in their neighborhood? yep.
1: yep. I know that's what my I have a sister that has is dyslexic and has a master's in public health, and I feel like you guys would get along, really. We will be friends. We can be You guys can, you know, start a movement together right. or something. But she's dyslexic, and that's what she's been told is to read to your kids. Read to your kids. You need to read to your kids. She's like, I can't. Like that takes so much. And she's a single mom. You know, like that takes too much effort for me. That's hard for me. And and she's so worried about doing it wrong and teaching them wrong. And right. so it's just all um, of those things. And stress. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. so it piles on. And then like you were talking about um with the social determinants of health, and sometimes we overqualify kids too, and we think, mm-hmm. oh, we're giving them help. Like that kid that you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. we're giving them help. It's fine, it should be good. It's help for everyone. But there's so many studies and data that show that you know that can put kids farther behind their typical peers pulling them out and putting them in services and yeah. so i think that's mm-hmm. something that we have to be careful and watch for too that we're not seeing disabilities where there's not one
2: but yeah. see the schools is, they're driven off of scores then you have these teachers who have this stress of well the testing grades, Um, Mm -hmm. having this stress of their salary or their job is in jeopardy if the kids don't need a score. And so we have all Mm -hmm. these silos instead of saying, hey, maybe we should just set up regular time for them to go see the counselor. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, maybe they just need intervention for a little time to take them out of the classroom to kind of decompress and not have so much stress. Because um, I know in Georgia, I don't know about any other states hmm I, I just don't remember my kindergarten class being as big as they are these days like <laughs> mm-hmm. five kindergartners just sounds like a lot you know mm-hmm. and so um the classroom sizes are getting bigger so maybe they just need to be in the little bubble of intervention not special ed but just you know intervention because those are small groups you know set them up with the counselor but we always like intervention 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 but it's not including counseling you know it's Mm -hmm. not including these holistic plans and Mm -hmm. so I just think that um and and maybe I'll be that that change agent to say listen we're gonna write this curriculum we're gonna write this program and plan to put in place um to not necessarily you know keep them out like Todd said we want the ones (laughs) That really, really,
1: really need it. Yes. Need
0: it. Because yes.
2: it's, it's probably some other factors. Um, sure. Because I'm at a middle school right now, and I can tell you right now, out of my 48, there's probably maybe on about 10 of them. <laughs> <Probably really. laughs> um, a good portion of them have grown out and just need to be tested out. And some of them they're just trying to get me to hold on to them. And I'm like, no, this is middle school. No, I'm not right. doing it. Right. Um so so yeah, but yeah, I can be besties with your sister. We could talk. <laughs> we could
0: well, talk. I think so. It does go back to sort of this failure model. You know, like you're saying, Lauren, is is that you know, before it escalates to a point of the person and the, the child is is getting into a fight or doing something really crazy, bringing a gun to school or something else, you know, doing something really, they have to have this big failure moment before they can suddenly get the services. Mm -hmm. And then, then it's going to be more costly, more intensive. Mm -hmm. If we could have just done a little bit at a time to, like you're saying, relieve some of that stress, Mm -hmm. give them coping strategies, give them tools that they can use before it escalates to a point that it's almost almost the point of no return for some of these kids. Yeah.
2: And I feel like some of these teachers, I mean, it's 2023. Uh, I I have heard, oh, I'm not trained well. Okay. Yep. That's the district's fault or the whatever well, school you came from and they gave you your degree. That's probably their fault too. But at the same time, I'm flabbergasted that almost 14 years later, I'm still running into teachers that are just like oh, I can't stand that kid, or oh, I don't yeah. know how to work with them. And it's like, come on now, ain't they young? That's the I expect right. that from the older <laughs> right. teachers. But if we're not supposed same be burnt out. Yeah, you're not <laughs> supposed to like put that kid in a box, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I have a story about that. About like a kid I never forget. He had autism, high functioning. So I he only had inclusion he was in an inclusion classroom and (laughs) it's funny now and the teacher I had to get her there but because she was in a crying fit but it (laughs) mattered. he just did not like when she was teaching because he wanted her attention and he would throw a whole I mean a whole fit like when I watch the videos I laugh She, on the other hand, cried. So, (laughs) because it was just how he did it. Like, Mm -hmm. he would be shaking. He would break the pencil in half. It was like, why can't you answer my Um, question? But when he would, but for, let's say math was an hour. That first 30 minutes when she was teaching the whole class, it was a problem. And then in small group, he was okay. But then there were times where he wasn't, great because he wanted his like one-on-one time Mm -hmm. but it took me saying hey you need to start documenting his outbursts yeah sure enough it was always doing math Mm -hmm. and then sure enough i was able to help her figure out it was when she was doing teaching Mm -hmm. come to find out we got him retested he was low in math Mm mm-hmm And so, unfortunately, they put him in the behavior class for a little bit. Um, But did he really need a behavior class? No, he probably just needed to go to, um, you know, small group, special Mm -hmm. ed, math. That's what he needed. That
1: was on his level, because all of us would be mm-hmm. overwhelmed if we were in a classroom and everything was way above our heads.
2: Yeah, and he was in first grade, so to be even, oh, yeah, he was in first grade. But again, high functioning autism, and you know those right. high functioning ones, they are very aware. But because really? he was so young, he and he he needed speech. Um, he didn't have mm-hmm. all the vocabulary and language to say I need help you would just have these crazy outbursts and I had to walk the school with him to calm him down because when I say he was at 10 maybe 12 um it just took a lot to calm him down but these teachers are not being told hey when a kid is acting out document and look for the pattern Right. And right. then, Kim, there are not a lot of SLPs that are like you and I, who um, we're just probably all over the place. We in everybody's business um, <laughs> <laughs> that are telling them to do that. So we're all right. in these, you know, silos. But, um, yeah, I I thought I some of these teacher programs and I definitely fought the school district because they they give them all these PDs, but. There are some other PDs that can be focused on simple things like that, <laughs> that will not take away. I mean, I even told teachers, i was like, write on hand <laughs> if it need be, you know, or mm-hmm. have a post-it right next to you or do a little jot somewhere on your board. Um, because I know having a room full of like 20 plus kids can be a lot, but um, it's not impossible. I write I'm right all the time, especially
0: when I was in elementary, kids sure. so cool. Let me just write a little something. Well, Lauren, we could talk to you all night, but I know we want to get to. Um, so, uh, since we we our podcast is telepractice today, let's talk for a moment about telepractice, and then we'll get mm-hmm. that out of the way. And then I, want, <laughs> I want to talk to you about what you're doing with new grads and. And all of that. So you've been a a telepractitioner for a number of years now Mm -hmm. uh, and working with school districts. And what's a couple of things that you've um, noticed or or some strategies that you could share or favorite websites or something like that that you've come to to really depend on?
2: Uh, that's a good question. So I actually started a Teachers Pay Teacher store um, because I saw a a gap. Um, I love Teachers Pay Teachers, but it's very heavy on early intervention and elementary. And um, I have noticed with middle school in particular, uh, they don't like a lot of videos back to back, but then they also mm-hmm. like to color um, and do crafts. So Pinterest is is my favorite. So I try to have a balance of, worksheets because I want to see how they do that uh, on paper but then I also sometimes would do videos and just ask them verbally the question um, or I'll make a worksheet or I'll find one on teachers pay teachers and kind of modify it um, but one thing I did uh, last year because I started my school district in October I wanted to be respectful of cultures and religions so around Halloween I just did Alice in Wonderland. And I saw on Pinterest about getting a paper cup and um, a saucer, you know, to do the little teacup thing. Mm-hmm. And so I made them write the main idea on the cup and then some supporting details on the plate. Yeah, and we cool. glued it together and they wrote their name and they loved it. At first they were like, what is this? And <laughs> <laughs> they loved it. And so I would say every four to six weeks, I try to do something crafty like that or mm-hmm. um, color by numbers. I love word searches. Mm-hmm. Um, the I have a paraprofessional that works with me and they were like, why are you getting so excited about word searches? I said, let mm-hmm. me tell you. Um, because it's working memory, um, it's spelling, it's processing because they got to remember, you know, how the word is spelled and then try to mm-hmm. find it. And uh, some of my low comprehension kids were getting good at finishing it in 30 minutes. Now, wow. um I will tell you, I got a little lazy that last month of school and they almost had a word search every week. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, they, after a while, some of them started asking for it. Um, it. So I yeah. thought that was cool. So just doing things like that, I would say old school stuff. I'm an mm-hmm. 80s baby and a lot of the stuff that they do now all their stuff is on laptops. They're getting away from textbooks and just trying to go back to that paper, pencil, let's work with our hands because I have a lot of boys. Um, So I try to always have something interactive. Sometimes I'll get creative and say, okay, you get one sheet, pair up in two and you answer the questions together and then we talk it out. Mm -hmm. Um, I also verbally, uh, tell them strategies. So when it comes to reading, because got a lot of comprehension kids. So I'll read a paragraph and then I'll stop or I'll tell them, let's read the questions first, you know, just giving them strategies. Excuse me. And I think in middle school, you kind of have to be heavy on that. But if you, in high school too, um, but if you are in elementary, man, teachers pay teachers, and boom cards are going to be your your best friend because you got to keep their attention. That's why I'm so glad I have a middle school. I do not have to worry about that. And <laughs> sometimes I just talk to them about their grades, and then I play mm-hmm. Auntie Lauren and not Miss Lauren and say what we do, what's happening. That's that right. holistic thing, coming. Right. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just balancing. Videos versus worksheets um, versus crafts. I, I think that's why some of them like coming to see me, yeah. especially if they don't like the connections that they're in right now. My school, they don't like the computer teacher. So <laughs> I'm always like, no, go back. Because their periods are 50 minutes, but, you know, sessions are only 30. I'm like, all right, see you next week. <laughs> got to go, so, <laughs> go now. You got to go now teach or have things. So 9-11, these four children Mm -hmm. don't even know 9-11. So Mm -hmm. show the video about that and then talk them through that. Um, This week is the last week of uh, National Hispanic Heritage. So I found something on Teachers Pay Teachers. And um, we're talking about a Mexican-American author and um, his life story. So I'm asking them questions about that. So doing things will be very helpful, especially if you got a big caseload. Um, It just helps the time go by. Um, I'm a creature of habit, so I don't mind reading the same passage every single time for a week. It's only (laughs) going to be for a week. Um, And getting creative and then you're able to adapt to whatever group you have. So you don't always have to do the questions. You can say, pick out all the R words and read them to me. I've done that. Especially if I have a mixed group um, yeah. or find mm-hmm. an R word and come up with a sentence if they're on sentence level. So mm-hmm. you just have to be creative, um, especially on the middle school and high school level, because they, half of them don't want to come to you.
1: Um, They've but- been there for a long time, most of them, yeah. too, like yeah. some since kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing I did, um, shameless plug, and it's a freebie on,
2: on my Teachers Pay Teacher store. Um, I created a document where they write their IEP date, they revalidate their goals and their accommodations because right. it's fun to go to speech in elementary, but man, they hit that sixth grade and they're like, how long am I going to be in here? How many times do I come? <laughs> and so first week out the gate, that's what we did. And some of them actually remember their IEP dates because sometimes I'm like, when's your IEP date? And they're like, I think it's in February. And I look it up and I'm like, and you're right. (laughs) You remembered that. Um, So we have conversations all the time because I tell them, my goal is get you out before high school. Yeah. Only going to send you to high school with speech if you absolutely need that extra support. And so. I don't play in articulation. I got my say and do books from Super Duper, and with those boxes under the words and phrases, (laughs) they do plus and plus and minuses. And then
1: we get yeah, they might
2: get to play a game, but we in here we're we're doing drill because I know you tired of R. I'm tired of R. We (laughs) (laughs) don't need you. (laughs) We're just going to get you out of here, okay? the last thing I do.
1: (laughs) So I have a question with the crafts because I feel like that's not something people think of and go to a lot when they're thinking of teletherapy. Do you just have a good relationship with your in-person, whatever we want to call it, parent educator that's in there in the room that helps you with that? Or how do you work that?
2: Yeah, so I do have a great relationship with her um, because for anybody who's thinking about middle school, um, I only work during connections. So all the other times we're just sitting there (laughs) now, of course I'm doing paperwork, (laughs) but, um, I would say what's that three, I only work three hours out the day. So we have a lot of dialogue and, um, well, she just left me because she went to have a baby, but <laughs> she was with me last year. And um, after a while she was pulling stuff and she knew about teachers, paid teachers. So she would go on there and find me stuff. Oh, um, mm-hmm. But like uh, what's her name? Speech Panda speech. Mm-hmm. She has this thing called tear articulation mm-hmm. and she has different pictures. The one I've used It's the pumpkin and you literally just tear sheets of construction paper and put it on the pumpkin. And then she has the words at the bottom. But she also has um, in that bundle, you get articulation ones and then you get language ones. So some of my kids have these grammar goals. So I had this kid with I think it was irregular plural. So I said, hey, make a sentence out of it or whatever. And they did that. And going back to the theme whatever my theme is i there are just too many teachers and slps that blog and pinterest is your best <laughs> friend you should go in there and put that theme in there and then you can determine if hmm, will this be age appropriate if it's not um we didn't get to do the one i found last year on groundhog day it was literally um a paper cup they colored this groundhog and had made the little grass with the green um Construction paper with you know the groundhog popping up, and I you could have them right on the cup. You know what yeah. is Groundhog Day, or what did you learn today about Groundhog Day? Believe it or not, they love it because <laughs> one eighth grader last year said, "Oh, I like coming here. It's like a brain
0: break to me." So
2: I said, "Hey, okay, <laughs> that's that's
0: perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah." So so we we are running out of time a little bit, but Lauren, talk about some of the work you're doing now with uh, students, grad students, navigating grad school. So how did how did that start?
2: Oh, well, where's many other things I do. So I'm going to go through real quick, but I'm going to land on that. So I am right now adjunct professor at University of West Georgia. um, Mm -hmm. But what Todd is. Talking about in particular is um, my tour I took last week. So I am the convention co-chair for the National Black Association for Speech, Language and Hearing at we call it in Basla. And so um, I had this crazy idea when we went to Raleigh. I was like, oh, let's go visit some of the universities Um, Mm -hmm. because the other convention co-chair, she works at North Carolina Central and. Then it morphed into well, if we go to Central and if we go to North Carolina AT, what if the other schools find out <laughs> we went there and then come there? So mm-hmm. it ended up um, being North Carolina Central, North Carolina A&T, East Carolina, UNC Chapel Hill, and UNC Greensboro in three days. Wow. And so, yep. so we went to talk to them about. In Basla, in, in Basla convention, because in Basla prides himself on creating spaces for students. Um, we have they can be uh, poster presenters, but we also have sessions just for students and mm-hmm. a student mentor luncheon. Because a lot of students don't have mentors. Almost every place I went, I said, hey, raise your hand mm-hmm. if you have a mentor. And I only got like one or two. And I'm like, you going not need it because <laughs> mm-hmm. we hit burnout very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't tell them that part. But um, so, yeah, I have always had a passion to go back and be the person that I needed when I was in school, whether it was on the undergrad or master's level. And so I just love talking to students and uh, just telling them like it is, as we say. And uh, Kim, I was able to get into my health disparity, public health uh, um, soapbox because at UNC Chapel Hill I spoke to first year master's level students and I think it was their clinic class because they were talking about team building and so I was able to talk about collaboration but then was able to talk about my love in my topic dissertation topic about um, African American parents not showing up for IEP meetings And so I didn't know how well I did until the um, professor emailed me and thanked me for coming and then sent me all of their feedback. And and they were like, I didn't know we had so many disparities, you know, and I feel um, I I, uh, Lauren. I love listening to Lauren. She taught me how to advocate not only for myself because I got on my speech teacher soapbox. I do not like to be called speech teacher. (laughs) Um, And I told them a story about that, which I definitely am not going to say on the podcast. (laughs) 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 But you know, at my school, they they know, don't call me speech teacher. And so I was telling them, I was like, y'all cute. Y'all young looking. I was like, it doesn't matter if you go into the schools on the medical field, they're going to try you. And then I talked about how... Asha Leader puts people's names out when they violate the code of ethics. And one of the students, she started shaking her head real strong. And I was like, You've seen it, haven't you? And she was like, Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> what have you? I was like, What do you see the most? People billing for clients who have passed away. So, even if you go in the medical field, they will try to um encourage you to do things that are not right. So learn how to advocate for yourself now as a student, and then um treat your clients like your relative. Because if something happens with your relative, I told them, I said, you're gonna roll up, you're gonna you gonna roll up, you're gonna raise some cane, you're gonna do all <laughs> of that, right? And so yeah. to break that cultural barrier, race barrier, income, whatever the barrier is, if you treat your patients, clients, students as your relative, that will erase all of that. The parent will feel your compassion, feel that you are genuine and that you care about their um relative. And yeah. so it, it doesn't even matter what that barrier is.
0: Uh, I- I think that's all great advice, wonderful advice. And these students are lucky to hear from you.
2: <laughs> yeah, I almost teared up because nah. you know, sometimes you just, I am who I am. And then mm-hmm. I just don't realize the impact that I made. And so my sister yeah. had to read it for me because I was like, I can't read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, And it was a room for like 30 kids and literally Every single student had something to say about what I said. Um, and it, it was great. And even they were interested in Embosla because it was only a few out of 30. There was only maybe three or four minorities in the, in the class. Mm-hmm. So for them, for me to be received, <laughs> come here talking mm-hmm. about a black organization <laughs> and all these disparities, for them to understand and really get. What I was trying to say, even though some things were indirect, was just very um, overwhelming and
1: and um, just great. I'm I So, really so when's your nationwide tour? That's for right. When's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've got like 14 <laughs> colleges in Ohio to go to.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You, you, you only have get on three that. in
1: Utah, though. You'd be, be good be, in Utah. <laughs>
0: there you go. Be the opener for Taylor Swift. You know, it's your yeah. next big step. <laughs> yeah. You know, go talk to all the colleges. It, it'd be great. And, yeah. and we literally do have like 14 or 15 training programs in Ohio. Wow.
2: That's it's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And they had in Raleigh-Durham, like, all of them were about Mm -hmm. an hour apart. And they emailed us being concerned that we were trying to do them all in one day. And I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) We're doing it (laughs) across a couple of days. Um, But they, and then I still realized we missed a couple. I was like, well, they don't have to just hear the cliff notes from somebody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Lauren, it's been wonderful catching up and talking with you and, and learning more about what you're doing. And I think you have a great mission all across everything that you're doing. Uh, Thank you. And how can people reach out to you if they want to interact or just say hello?
2: Well, um, I'm on social media. Don't go to my Twitter. That's like, <laughs> I just go in there, talk about 90 day fiance. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and it's you and far between um but you can find me on instagram at sassy slp no special spellings um i'm on linkedin as lauren hastings um i'm on facebook as lauren hastings slp um so you can find me on there to say hello and see all the other things that i do that i did not mention because we will be here all day and you will think i'm going to sleep uh, so, um, so yeah, you can reach out to me that way, or you can email me at Lauren at Here to Speak H E A R the number two S P E A K dot com.
0: Wonderful. Well, yeah. you do have to come back, and we'll keep the conversation going.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: I want to thank Lauren once again for joining us on the podcast. I could have spoken to her for a whole nother hour. Uh, We had so much that we could have gotten to. And so we definitely will have Lauren back to continue that conversation. So check her out, what she's doing on Instagram and LinkedIn. I think you'll be very impressed. And with that, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode as well. If you don't mind, leave us a five-star review. That always helps us to attract new listeners and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues who you think might enjoy it as well. We would really, really appreciate that. And until next week, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network.